You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. This episode of No Love Lost is brought to you by FredsBS.com. That is breads. <laughs> that is breads and spreads by Fred. <laughs> Basically, what Fred does is he makes cookies and brownies and jams, uh, and they are absolutely delicious. I'm not joking with you guys. I've worked with Fred in the past. He does fan fantastic work. He's got these cookies called brown sugar buddies, which are super good, especially with your coffee in the morning or evening. Whenever you take your coffee, it doesn't matter. It is a good pairing with the brown sugar buddies. And uh, he's got a lot of really great seasonal stuff. I'm not gonna lie. His brownies are like the best thing ever. These cherry chew brownies, which I believe he's still selling for his summer seasonal stuff, which, you know, we're, we're into the fall time, but he's got more seasonal stuff coming up. And he also has jam on his website. I'm not gonna lie. Like I'm not normally a jam person. His jams are amazing. <laughs> it takes a lot to impress me when it comes to foods I'm normally not like a fan of. So his uh, Paradise Sunset stuff is absolutely amazing. Um, he also does blondies and brownies. Uh, but coming up for the fall setting, he's got these seasonal pumpkin spice buddies, which are the sort of fall seasonal take on the uh brown sugar buddies I mentioned before. And he's going to start doing uh, these party packs, uh, which include jars of jam, uh, a dozen cookies and four baked good pieces. Uh, those are not available as of yet uh, at the time of this recording, but stay tuned and you can find out more about that at fredsbs.com. Once again, that's fredsbs.com. Uh, use the code NOLOVELOST. That's all one word. Uh, use the code NOLOVELOST and you'll help support this podcast. And also you're just going to really, really get some good seasonal goodies uh, at this time of the year. You know, bring in something really really tasty for your co-workers gets, you know, the holidays are coming up, bring in some goodies to the office to share with your co-workers. It's going to be delicious, guys. Go to fredsbs.com, use the code no love lost. You're not going to regret it. It's super good. Do yourself a favor, get yourself some brownies, get yourself some cookies, get yourself some jam. And if you want to send me any of those things, like that's totally cool too. Uh, DM me. We'll talk. <laughs> anyway, thank you guys so, so much. Enjoy the episode. Let's go to the island. I would like to see the polar bears. There was a crash and there are others and there are numbers and it all means something supposedly but even though there are times we We had to go back. For once, I'm going to agree with you. Ah. Ah. Uh, welcome back to No Love Lost, the podcast in which we argue about, but maybe not today, <laughs> uh, every episode of Lost. Yes. Uh, with uh, I'm Will Link. I should remember who I am. <laughs> I'm Will Link. And with me as always... 
Megan Salinas. Hey guys, if that is our real names, you'll never know. That's true. This whole time, we could be using aliases. <laughs> like the outlaws that we are. <laughs> uh, and we're here to talk about season one, episode 16, Outlaws. Uh, and you knew it was going to be a good one by the credits. Let's talk about the credits on this one. Let's, let's please, yes. It was directed by Jack Bender, he who has directed the most episodes of Lost and will eventually direct the finale. He is a... T- I, I won't hold the finale against him because he is a talented director. And written by Drew Goddard, who would go on to... Oh my uh, God! Make- such phenomenal films as The Cabin in the Woods. No kidding! Yep. Drew Goddard wrote this episode? He also wrote The Martian. I mean, he's a terrific writer, oh my, and it shows. This is... Okay, suddenly, I, I'm like hearing music in my head going like, suddenly I see. Oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. Because like, I feel like it's safe, it's, it's, I'm not giving anything away by saying I adore this episode. It's so good, and now I know why. We've been gushing about it right before we got on the air here with you. <laughs> um, uh, you know what, it's, it's weirdly, it's, here, here's some things I like about it. It's not really a plot-driven episode. It's really about character. We're not moving any of the big mythical lost pieces in this, in this episode. Which is <laughs> and and uh, it, it really, at the end of the day, there's this great theme about PTSD yeah. that goes over the whole thing. Charlie, we directly talk about PTSD, but really this is about Sawyer's PTSD. It's the undercurrent for the entire episode, um, and it's it's very, very well done. So it uh, now knowing the, the writer behind it, I'm like, okay, this, a, a lot of the pieces are falling into place in my mind. Um, regarding this episode, but yeah, you're you're absolutely right. This, all of the um, the the sort of island magic stuff that we have various debates on, uh, all of that is sort of in the background for this episode, and this episode sort of stands on its own as just kind of a character study of Sawyer as a person, and you know his sort of folly in this episode of trying to to pin all his problems. On something completely unrelated. Yeah. Uh, so I, I really love this. Um, really quick before we start digging into things, if this is your first episode of our podcast, uh, you should know that we're going to be spoiling the whole series for you. So we this can't is a really, fair spoiler alert. Yeah, we can't really. In a, in a going back to the island, we can't forget <laughs> the knowledge that we have of the island. Exactly. So we kind of. You know, and we lay it all we, out. We may bring up future plot points, um, things like that. But I think for the most part, this this is an episode that stands on its own regardless. Um, but oh my goodness. Yeah, like I said, I loved it. But yeah, just as a heads up, spoiler alert. Um, so let, let's talk about the opening of this episode. And, 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 you know, we'll deal with a lot of the flashback first. Um, but it's interesting. The opening of this episode is not so much a flashback as it is a dream. Uh, we see young Sawyer as a kid, and we see his mother is in a panic. Somebody's in the house yelling. It's his father, and she basically, she says, hide under the bed, don't come out no matter what you hear, and I love you. And she knows 
that this might be it for her. Yeah. She knows that this is this is a dangerous uh, situation that's quickly escalating. And she sends him under the bed, and then, of course, we hear gunfire. We see a pair of shoes come in. It's really intense the way it's filmed because the shoes linger in front of that bed just long enough for you to be 100% positive that he is going to lift up that bed and find his son. But instead he sits on the bed and, and kills himself. Incredibly dark. Um, I, I don't recall, like, again, network television in 2004, maybe it was because, you know, I, was, I wasn't necessarily watching a lot of network dramas at the time, but I don't recall seeing something this dark on network television. I feel like for, for a scene like this, it would have to have been like an HBO sort of thing or a Showtime thing. Well, this is actually one of the cases where I wonder if being on network helps the moment. Because I wonder if... Because it's all left up to your imagination. Yeah, which makes it more upsetting. Yeah. Which, you know, it, it fills in these... The, you have to fill in these gaps of, of what the visual is. If this were on Showtime, and I'm not saying they would do that because smart filmmakers might not choose yeah. to do it this way, but... And as we because, pointed out, this is a very competent director. Yeah. You... Knowing that you'd be able to show a guy, maybe not completely blow his brains out, but even to the point, put a gun in his mouth or to his head or however he... under his chin or however he did it, they might have at least showed up to that point. Yeah. But because it was network, they didn't want to show that. And, and it's, it's they, you know, sometimes sometimes being censored forces you to be more creative. It absolutely does. Um, a Paul Dini, who is a story editor in this first season of Lost, I don't know if he stays with the series for forever, um, but uh, he was one of the creative voices behind Batman the Animated Series, and he said time and time again that, you know, the censoring forced them to elevate their storytelling. So I feel like it's very similar here. Um, and... Not only that, not only are, are we, is the sort of more graphic nature of what's happening left to our grisly imaginations, but we are locked in the perspective of this child. Yeah. And, oh my gosh, if that doesn't make it even more heart-wrenching. Um, and also knowing, so, and, and it doesn't take long to figure out that, okay, this is Sawyer, this is Sawyer's backstory, this is, this is how he became the person that he is, this is the sort of catalyst to all of that. It has that extra layer of tragedy because we ultimately know where he ends up. He ends up a con man just like the man who did this to his family. Yeah. Yeah. So it's exactly. that extra layer of tragedy. Uh, but like I said, it, it's weird because this was clearly... A lot of times flashbacks, you can't tell whether the flashbacks just exist there for us or whether there's something the character is thinking about in the moment. I feel this, like, yeah, that it varies from episode to episode. This was clearly a dream he was having. He was remembering because he wakes up from it. Like yeah, he, in a cold sweat. Yeah, we come out of it. And then later we see the sequence again, except the feet aren't his father, it's the boar that he's chasing down in the episode. That, maybe I'm showing my hand a little too early, but I thought that was pretty stupid. <laughs> it's mostly, weird. Mostly because it's just a bad, like, chroma key effect. It just looked weird and out of place. It, it did look a little weird. 
It, yeah, I, I know what they were going for. Drew, Drew, honey, I know what you were going for. Uh, I, I totally get it. It just, visually speaking, it didn't work in this particular instance. Um, yeah, <laughs> it, that, that, it was a little off. It's, it's literally the one shortcoming this episode has. <laughs> um, but I still accepted it because it... it, it because it's a it, dream. It's supposed to yeah, be weird. Yeah, so it could be a little weird. To, it's supposed to not make sense. So um, it's... It's fine. And even even from the visual aspect of it, yeah, you could argue that the reason it looks so unnatural and odd is because it is a dream. So, let's kind of round up. This is this is a tough one about how to... I've been thinking a lot about how to break up the flashback in the we island could, stuff. Uh, we could just talk about the flashbacks because we, we have the... The, the important moment sort of um, out of the way is like the, the childhood moment. We could, yeah, just go into uh, meeting uh, the T-1000. <laughs> I, was, oh, I was about to call him the T-1000. <laughs> I swear to God. I should have just pressed on with the flashback. You stole my joke. I'm sorry. It's I didn't okay. mean to steal your bit. Well, but I'd do it again. <laughs> well, Sawyer, we see Sawyer romancing a lady as Sawyer does. What's he gonna steal from this woman? Who knows? Maybe her heart. Not, but. not gonna lie. Uh, <laughs> seeing him like shoo her out of the room when Ryan Patrick—that—that's Robert Patrick. Robert Patrick. I, I apologize. Robert Patrick just like apparates into the scene. Um, seeing so Sawyer shoo her out of the room and down into the bar for a moment, based on the last flashback episode we had with Sawyer, I kind of forgot that there was this moment of animosity between the two of them because I was sitting here thinking that they're about to start joking about how like oh yeah we're we're starting our next long con on this chick yeah. but no that's that's not the case at all the other thing that I think they want you to think is that it's her husband based on the way his last con went too that maybe it's the woman's husband like they hope like at first at yeah. first up until the light comes on and she clearly doesn't recognize yeah but because yeah. they keep him in the dark for a while they, do. they play with what we know about Sawyer, and then it turns out to be a third thing he's a guy uh hibbs i believe his name is hibbs yep and they used to run some cons together hibbs owes him one for the Tampa job. This is when... <laughs> That's a noodle incident. <laughs> I love... But I always love, like... I, I gotta admit, I'm like a weird sucker, like in those Oceans movies when they're just all these, like... We like they, they make like, obscure references to events that we're not privy to, and yeah. you're like, I want to know that story, and then they move on. Oh, he owes you from that time in Cincinnati. Or... And you're like, what like, happened in Cincinnati? George! Uh, George Clooney! What happened? You gotta, you gotta call that plumber in Schenectady. Why? <laughs> Why do you have to call the plumber in Schenectady? What does the plumber know? It's and then like at that the end of the movie, the plumber is the linchpin to the heist. Yeah. <laughs> but so. you only get that reveal after they're making that reveal to the antagonist. Like, yeah. after they've stolen all the money. So. <laughs> we couldn't have done it without that plumber. Basically, he tells them, Listen, I found a man who ruined your life. He's down in Australia. Who's running a shrimp truck? Uh, his name's Frank, but he used to go by the name Sawyer. <sighs> and right then, he's hit Sawyer's sweet spot. Mm -hmm. And I think even then, even back then, uh, when I watched this episode the first time in 2005, I knew, man, you're being played. 
Like, the, it, it, things don't come that easy to people. I wasn't, I'll be honest, I, I wasn't sure. Um, because this is Robert Patrick, the T-1000. He can go from playing, uh, you know, a terrifying monster to a very likable side character. It yeah. could go either way. So looking at this character actor playing this part, it's hard. It was hard for me back in 2004 to know where this guy was coming from. So that that was just me, but that's like 100% bias based on the actor. And that's probably why you cast Robert Patrick for such a small part in an episode. Exactly. Um, Which, it, it, always ma- it always makes me light up whenever Lost gets those big cameos like this, where it's like, we cast a big, <laughs> we cast a big name actor, and he's here for two seconds. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of amazing. So, Sawyer goes to Australia. And we get a great scene that tells us about Australian gun laws, which are far better than American gun laws, because you can't own guns. He's like, you can't have this. They make a big moment of, like, he's buying a gun off some shady guy who Hibbs knows, and he knows, they all laugh about how Hibbs is a son of a bitch. And he gives a little speech about, like, you know that no handguns allowed. You're not allowed to have this gun. So you better not, which I, I, uh... I mean, to bring a little bit of real-world context, yeah. it's true. Um, gun laws in Australia are very, very strict. And I didn't think about this um, re-watching this episode, but yeah, in 2004, uh, that's probably only less than a decade after the large mass shooting that completely, that caused Australia to overhaul their gun laws completely. Wait a a second, are you saying that there was a mass shooting on Australia and they decided to do something about it? Yeah, isn't that so weird, Will? Not, yeah, not, not to bring too much real world politics into this, but like, again, it's funny going back to 2004 and... Um, and going, oh yeah, this was less than a decade after that tragedy, and they they made distinct les- legislative change, and so the writers had to, they they couldn't just hand Sawyer a gun, you know, or they couldn't just have him go down to a pawn shop and get yeah. one. Like he had to find a way to obtain a firearm once he got there, and that's very difficult in a country with such strict gun laws. Um. The other thing that the guy tells him is there are no refunds on this gun, which I don't know why anyone would think there would be. <laughs> but no Because refund. it's if like, you, once I hand this to you, yeah. I was never here. <laughs> but he says, like, if you can't pull the trigger, like a lot of guys get to the point where they, they think they're going to kill this guy, but then they can't pull the trigger. So, you know, uh, think about that. And because we know the kind of person Sawyer really is in his heart, this puts the question in our head, can Sawyer pull the trigger? When it comes down to it, will he be able to do this? I'm going to call an audible. I want to talk about some island stuff. (laughs) Okay, okay. And you'll see there's a storytelling reason once we get to your favorite part of the episode. Of course. So, on the island... As we said, Sawyer had woken up from this, in this cold sweat, from this dream memory of his childhood, to find that there is a boar in his tent. The boar's looking at him, 
chases the boar out. Can I just say that if I, I woke up and there was a boar, like, rummaging around in all my stuff, I would, my first reaction outside of, like, OMG, what am I going to do, would be, freaking Locke said that we were, <laughs> that, that we had hunted all of them. Yeah. This, this is where I would start to get suspicious of John Locke and what he's actually doing. But, like... Well, and I believe <laughs> Saeed mentions this, too, to him. Like, he's like, I thought the board vacated this area. Uh, apparently not. I'm just a bad hunter, and that's the story I'm gonna go with. But this is different. <laughs> that's my this John is, Locke. <laughs> this is a this is a magical boar that's haunting though? Sawyer. Is it though? I much prefer Kate's uh, <laughs> explanation for everything. Um, you blame fate, Will, and uh, and that's no way to go through life. So <laughs> Sawyer's angry, he's chasing this boy. He looks like a lunatic as the boar's dragging his tent into the. Uh, first of all, this is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> because the boar takes off with his tarp, and so Sawyer runs shirtless through the entire encampment and, trying to chase it down. And although we like Sawyer, he's enough of an SOB that we always get a good laugh when the piss is taken out of him. Or occasionally when he gets pissed on. Yes. <laughs> or yes. when his stuff gets pissed on. <laughs> so, he runs into the jungle, and then he hears the whispers. Whisper, 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 whisper. Um, I will say that I watched this um, with the captions on, and that's something um, that I'm very grateful for when the whispers start to happen. I hate watching things with captions on. Really? I, I, I think it enhances the experience. It distracts me, but... You know, when there's something subtitled for a foreign language, it obviously doesn't distract me. No, no, because that's intended to yeah, be there. But when it it distracts me, but during this first whisper scene, it took three whispers of scenes for me to figure out what they were saying, and I know I should have just went back and put the captions on. To, to be honest, like, I, I've grown very accustomed to captions. I've, I've mentioned before on this podcast that I, I, I'm used to watching anime subtitled... Um, but also, even even taking that aside, my parents actually started just actively putting the captions on for shows like the Tudors, where they're speaking in a very distinct British accent. And I I put the captions on when I was going through A and E's Horatio Hornblower miniseries, which is fantastic. <laughs> BTW, I love Horatio Hornblower. Um, but so I've I've kind of gotten used to and. And I also like having captions on during horror movies because a lot of times horror movies will play around with the sound and all of a sudden there'll be these characters that are just whispering and you're not and you have, if you don't have the captions on you have no idea what the whispers are freaking saying half yeah. the time and I'm like I'd be better okay I know that you're trying to be obscure and you're trying to get everybody off balance and everything by doing that but I'd like to know what the weird whisper so, what did the captions say the whispers were saying in this? It'll come back around. That's what I got to, eventually, without I, the captions. I did not get that at all the first time I watched this. And uh, I never rewatched it, so uh, the only reason I picked up on it was because I had the captions on this time. Yes, now, okay, I'm gonna... I love this show so much, and I love it unconditionally, but I'm gonna bring up something really? that might be a mistake. What? Yeah. Okay, go, go for it. The mistake might be... What? From my knowledge of where the series goes, the whispers are dead people 
on the island. Uh-huh. And if that's the case, why are they whispering this thing to Sawyer? Because that guy wasn't on the island when he died. <laughs> yeah. But I can counter-argue that so <laughs> much of this is in Sawyer's head. That's, uh, that's what this podcast is going to be from now on, ladies and gentlemen. Will arguing with himself. Proceed. It would, it would be that Sawyer's hearing whispers, and he's hearing what he needs or wants to hear in the whispers. I've fixed it. May I present a theory? Yes. Um, you know my feelings on, um... It's not so much that the, the whispers are the spirits of the dead people on the island... That wouldn't be a problem if it wasn't such an intentional misdirect on the show's part um, to make it seem like the whispers were the others. I, that's where my problem lies with it. Uh, if we were, if we just kind of leaned more into the supernatural from the get go, or if that explanation had come sooner, I don't think I would have had as much problems with it. However, knowing that these are spirits, it's I I am fully willing to suspend my disbelief in terms of like and I've seen enough horror to know that spirits can just whether malevolent or not can say things intended to hurt you like they can reach that they into know your what's mind. going on in it, your soul and exactly they, yeah. that they know what buttons they can push in order to hurt you if you've watched any of the evil dead movies that's a perfect example the deadites always know what to say to get under your skin so i'm willing in terms of like knowing that these are the spirits of the dead, I'm willing to suspend my disbelief and go, okay, they know that it'll come back around is a phrase that will hurt Sawyer. Thank you. You just saved my favorite show. Ugh, what have I done? Ugh. Darn you, Drew Goddard. <laughs> this is a really good episode. So... Sawyer asks... Uh, Saeed's giving Sawyer a little bit of shit. Uh... <laughs> And then, as Saeed's leaving, you know, Sawyer hits him with a Muhammad, and, you know, he's being an asshole. Well, Saeed is the one giving him a hard time first. Yes. Which is delicious. I, I love any time these two interact off of each other. It's great. And it's Because Saeed, Sawyer's so overtly redneck. It's although, so you know, only about six, seven episodes ago, Sawyer was being tortured by Saeed, so I would actually say they're pretty damn cordial. <laughs> Considering. <laughs> Considering everything, yeah. Um, um, but yeah, we, we get this moment. Go ahead. And Saeed, he basically asked Saeed about the, like, would you hear? Like, he asked him about the whispers. Um, I don't know if there's anything you want to... Oh, no, just, um, again, this is, this is a testament to the acting. Because, uh, as I mentioned before, we all know my feelings on stupid island magic. However... This is a great suspenseful moment because Saeed has rationalized what happened to him. That he, yeah, he'd lost it or something. Yeah, he's like, I, I was under extreme duress um, after having escaped the French woman. I was lost and delirious and dehydrated and this and this and this. Like, what I heard was just conjured up in my own mind. And Sawyer's insistence of, like, but, like, what did you hear, though, um, gives credence to what Saeed thinks he heard. And so he's like, wait, why do you want to know? And that's when Sawyer dismisses it and goes, forget about it. And 
if you dismiss the nonsense explanation that we get three episodes before the finale, um, if you dismiss that, this is a very tense moment. And this is why I wish the show had leaned more into the supernatural a little bit earlier so that those explanations didn't seem as convoluted seven seasons later. Uh, look, that's true. I will say this. As much as I, I, I love, love, love the show, there are some things that clearly they felt the need mm -hmm. to explain. They explained too late. Yeah. But this was excellent. This was This great. was an excellent moment of tension, and the acting was perfect. Thank you, Drew. Thank you, uh, Jack. What, Bender. Sorry. Bender. Thank Jack you, Mr. Bender. Bender. Yeah. Drew Goddard. Thank you, Drew. Thank you, Jack. This was excellent. So, Jack had given out a bunch of guns. And, of course, everyone gave their gun back, like the goody two-shoes they all are, except one man, our man Sawyer. <laughs> and Kate says, Jack, I can get that gun back. I guess Sawyer, I, we, you know, we, we, me and Sawyer work on this level. We, I could give a, and Jack doesn't want it to because he, he's like, you know, uh, the last time uh, you had to get something from him, you, you made out with him. He made you make out with him. And she brought up the point of, uh, you know, she made out with him because torture didn't work. Yeah. Which is. A-holes. Yeah. <laughs> Toxic maybe masculinity the, ruins the party again. You know, that's the thing. Yeah. Even, <laughs> I know we talked about how Sawyer's kind of a dick for forcing Kate to make out with him, but you want to know what? It's all of them. Put Kate in that position. <laughs> don't torture people. Yeah. Don't torture don't people. Torture people. <laughs> R.I.P. John McCain. Don't torture people. Oh. You know? Oh, well, I mean, he was against, he was torture, he was against torture. Yes. He would not have approved of what went down No, on not, even, not even remotely. Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, you know, Kate's like, I'm going, you know, story get more, it flies with honey but, than but, vinegar. But again, this is one of those moments of Jack being like a little bit too protective of Kate and like, um, but at the same time fully acknowledging that she's capable of exactly what she's proposing. Um, so I really like, I, I, I know, like, I, this episode kind of makes me want to take back a lot of the mean things I say about Jack, just because of, like, a scene we'll get to later um, in, in the flashback section again. Um, but, like, I very much enjoy these early episodes in terms of the chemistry that Matthew Fox and Evangeline Lilly have like they have wonderful chemistry even when I'm not on board with whatever the characters happen to be doing at the time their chemistry is just so perfect you know what I kind of took for granted the first time through this uh and, and and a lot of that is because television has changed now and I look at things differently now but Evangeline Lilly really has chemistry with everyone on the she show. She does. She's she has chemistry with uh, Saeed. She has chemistry with Charlie. She's got chemistry with Jack. She's got chemistry with Sawyer. Evangeline so, Lilly is a gift to the world. Yes. Son as well. Um, She really, I feel like the first time through the series, I didn't give Evangeline Lilly enough credit. That's because, again, the writers after a while didn't know what to do with her, and so they, they wrote a bunch of contrived nonsense stuff for Kate, and we'll get to that when we get to that, but, like, in these early seasons, it, you know, they had a lot better, clearer vision for her, um, but, yeah, I, I feel like just in those middle seasons, they didn't really know what to do with her, and so, like, I feel like a lot of people 
feel negatively towards Kate because of those poor writing decisions when in fact Evangeline Lilly is a gift to the world. <laughs> um and she is a gift to Sawyer because Sawyer is sulking around the jungle oh. <laughs> listening to whispers, looking for his tent, getting attacked by boars. He wants <laughs> revenge on the He's boar. Like, this boar has it out for me. But, I'm not going to stand for this. But Sawyer don't know how to track. <laughs> Sawyer just knows making witty comments. I really loved this scene where she she comes up and she's like, Hey, so, so far you've tracked this, you've tracked this, you've followed your own footprints, you've done this, you've done this. You've basically tracked everything except a boar. <laughs> so she's, she knows what she's doing. She's probably... Behind Locke, she's probably the second best tracker Absolutely. on the island. Hands down. So she's like, I will help you hunt down this boar. So you can kill this fucking boar. But I want carte blanche. Mm-hmm. To which, so I was like, carte blanche. She's like, wait, you know what it means? He goes, yeah, I know what it means. I'm not an idiot. Yeah. I, I love this moment because after that interaction with Jack, we think, okay, this is her attempt at getting the gun back. But, as we find out later, it's a little bit more complicated than that. Or at least, it's potentially a little bit more complicated than that. Which At least that's what he surmises. Which brings us to... Easily the best scene in the episode, and we'll probably both be... I think we're allowed to both pick it for our, our light in this, our Jacob in this. I because feel like our light and dark are going to be the exact same thing in this episode. <laughs> because this scene is so good. And it's arguably one of the best scenes we've had in the whole series so far. It is... I feel like this scene very much rivals... Like, I feel like this scene elevates this episode to being potentially almost as good as Walkabout and the pilot. Like, I feel like it's... It's up there in terms of best episodes of the season, of the series. They play... A game of I Never, which Kate is not familiar with this game. And Sawyer, and when the scene, and this is what's so great about the scene, because when the scene starts, it's a little goofy, and it's yeah. almost, it's almost a little obvious. Like, it seems like the way, it seems like this is the obvious way to get character exposition out and find out things about these characters, but the way the game with the way the scene is written and performed because it starts off so playful and funny and it gets so serious and it and, and mean spirit it gets mean and it goes on it's a long scene i should have went back in time because it is a long scene or at least it feels long if yeah. it's not actually in terms of length all that long it feels long because you start to feel you feel that turn from and, playful to serious to mean-spirited, to downright dark. Either way, it's definitely for, like, mid-2000s network television, you didn't usually have two characters alone talking this long in a scene. And I, I would say that if you want to just take this scene on its own, this rivals some, uh, like, scenes even today. Like... That's how well written, shot, and performed this is. I, I mentioned to my roommate who was watching it with me, I was like, this episode feels like a freaking movie 
And again, now knowing who's behind it, there's a reason it feels so cinematic. Even though it's only a 40-minute episode of network television, it feels like a movie. It feels like a downright character study of these two people. We find out some fun, interesting things <laughs> along the way. I've never been in love. I've never had a one-night stand. Ooh, <laughs> such good stuff. Never been to Disneyland. What? That's just tragic. I've never been to Disneyland. Wait. I've been to Disney World. You've, I've you've been never, to Disney World wait, wait, wait. multiple times. Wait, wait, wait. You've never been to Disneyland World? I've been to Disney World multiple uh, times. You need to take a drink. <laughs> I, 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 I. <laughs> no, no, the, uh, I've, I've been to Disney World once. And I've been to Disneyland more times than I can count. Okay, so I, there you go. I currently have a season pass. Oh, there you go. See, I've been to Disney World like maybe three or four times. I've never been to Disneyland. But uh, it's so close. As of this recording, <laughs> uh, this recording, this will come up like months after this, <laughs> but I'm going to Tokyo. Will I go to Tokyo Disney? Will I go to Tokyo Disney before I go to Disneyland in America? We will what? see. What? <laughs> I'm so confused, Will. I'm um, talking about Disney World. Um, apparently, in, in some years, they will be uh, integrating the Tron light cycle attraction that they have in Disney Shanghai. Uh, to uh, they'll, they'll be incorporating that in Disney World. Um, which makes me very sad because I, I was at Shanghai and I did not get the chance to go to Disney World. Uh, to Disney Shanghai, and the last time I went to Disney World, that was a far-off dream. <laughs> I need the light cycle ride, Will. But I love this moment because it's very human, but it's also a nice little plug for ABC. Oh, I didn't think about that. That bothers me now. What? You don't like that moment for, now? No, I plug for ABC. No, I like the moment. You do uh, like the moment. Don't lie. Uh, Will, Sawyer, Will, don't lie. <laughs> Sawyer's a Republican. Kate never voted. <laughs> No, They're no. why we have Trump. <laughs> Sawyer and Kate are the reason for the Trump presidency. Just putting it out there. No, let's be honest. Oh, it would be funny if it wasn't so sad. Sawyer, uh... I do love this. He's like, I never voted Democrat. And she's like, I never voted. And he's like, damn! <laughs> uh, Sawyer... I guarantee you, he arrived on that island a Republican, <laughs> but by the time he left that island, he was a Democrat. Oh. That time with the Dharma Initiative <laughs> will have changed him. That's the thing. is, uh, For all my complaining about Juliet, uh, Juliet, for whatever contrived or writer reasons, she, uh, she softened him up quite The a reason bit. is because she's wonderful. That's debatable. Um, but okay, but now let's go. We're having fun with the scene. This is a fun scene, but it's much so like the scene, now we're going to get dark and, and we're going to get it serious. It does exactly what a good, suspenseful scene should do. It starts off on a master shot and then it moves to medium shots. And as things get more and more and more intense, we move closer and closer and closer. This is textbook film school, guys. It's so good. It's so perfect. It's a perfect understanding of the visual medium of film. And it makes me sad that a lot of, like, you know, this is so good. This is so wonderful. And like I said, it's textbook film school stuff. 
and it makes me sad that like this piece of television from 2004 is like I'm holding it up here because it's so memorable and so well crafted and so good I feel like a lot of that is lost on today you know I, I'm not gonna like you're talking specifically network yeah I'm not gonna harp too much on network television right now but this is this is masterful filmmaking not just masterful storytelling this is masterful filmmaking and I feel like we deserve more of it if that makes any sense they, they start to get more and more serious in their questions yeah um and it kind of culminates in a really big question. Mm-hmm. And this is why I wanted to hold it. And it gets to the really good storytelling thing. He asks Kate. Uh, he says, uh, I, never I never killed, killed a man. man. And Kate drinks. And then there's a beat. Just long enough. And then Sawyer takes a drink. And what's great about this is, now I want to jump back to this flashback. Mm-hmm. We know Sawyer isn't necessarily the killing type, but if there's someone he's going to kill, it's going to be this guy. Yeah. And he gets to the shrimp truck in the flashback, to, and he sees this guy. Can I also just say that I feel like this guy needs a much better location for his food truck, because no one's around. And I know he makes the point of saying, oh, you missed the lunch rush, but there's no one around, and it looks like it's the middle of nowhere. It's a really shitty location. It's, it's a, a terrible truck. location. It's a truck. You could literally move it anywhere. You're a food truck. Go to a place of business. Go oh. to a public location. Uh, Where outside, are you right now? Go outside now? a bar. Are you in the Australian outback right now? And all What's you wrong do, with you? By the way, all you do is serve shrimp with either hot sauce or mild. And again, <laughs> you're serving shrimp. Shouldn't you be somewhere near the coast if you're going to get... I, I don't know what your supply chain looks like, but I would, I would hope you're somewhere near the coast. I, I've got a lot of questions about this guy's sort of business model. <laughs> but Sawyer's standing there. And now... We know Sawyer has drank and said he's killed a man mm-hmm. at this point when we watch the flashback. And it plays on different because is it going to be this man? And, is this the man he and kills? They they very much, like, every time they, they cut to a shot of the man, it's usually in, like, a medium shot. But every time we cut back to Sawyer, it's close up on his eyes, on his Sweatin'. face. Sweating. He's uh, got his itchy trigger it is finger. intense. Everything is in close-ups when it comes to Sawyer because he's feeling this emotion and he's feeling conflicted and he's feeling this rage but also this apprehension. It's... Oh, God damn it. Josh Holloway does not get enough credit for his performance as Sawyer. And it, he was great on the show. He was wonderful. And the the whole scene it's also this innocuous conversation where the guys talk about oh, I love the South oh, Americans get a discount oh, and it's fellow all, Americans and the guy's just rambling on and the whole time I'm watching it though like his voice is almost a little muffled and that's good sound design yeah because this is it's also muffled in Sawyer's because head because it's and, literal background noise to the actual conflict yes. that's going and on even in my head now I'm watching this and I'm saying, we know he kills a man, but is he really going to kill this man? And somehow knowing that he eventually kills a man because he drank, in a weird way made me question even more if it was going to happen or not. It was very, like, that bit of knowledge fucked with my head in a way that 
in a way that even if he said, I never killed a man, wouldn't have. The, um, here's the thing, is that, uh, to this show's credit, uh, up until this point, it has played around with mysteries enough so that, like, knowing that he drank and knowing that he's killed a man, that doesn't necessarily mean this man. Yeah. It could mean literally anybody. And we know that at some point he enters police custody later on during his yes. stay in Australia. So, it could be this man. It could be something completely unrelated. Something else could have happened between then and now in which he's committed murder. We don't know, and that's why the tension of the scene works so well, is that we know, we know he's a murderer, but we don't know who he's murdered. And in that moment, he leaves. He leaves without his delicious shrimp. Um, <laughs> but it, it's the thing, because... I don't, know. So I don't know if shrimp from a food truck is going to be all that great. Yeah, it was covered in hot honest. sauce. <laughs> so... <laughs> so... Um, what ends up happening is he goes to a bar to start drinking, because that's what you do when you can't pull the trigger. I guess that's what I would do. I guess go to where liquor is, liquor is, and Christian Shepherd shall appear. Yes. <laughs> so he, go, he goes He's there. He's like but the it's, patron saint of alcoholics. But you know what? It's this great moment where... The guy sized, the guy who was selling the gun sized up Sawyer, right? Like, this guy's not going to be able to, there's something, quote-unquote, soft about this guy. He's yeah, not going to yeah. be able to do it. But then he's drinking at the bar. And what's great about this scene, it starts off just these two Americans in the bar. And yeah. Christian's clearly drunk, and Sawyer's trying to catch up to him. <laughs> and Sawyer, he enjoys, is, he's amused the, by this drunk enough. This that, is the beautiful dramatic irony of this film. Yeah. It's the one time Christian Shepard is giving quote-unquote good advice. It's at the exact wrong time yes. to the wrong person. Because Sawyer invites him over, basically, pulls, gets the bottom, and Christian gives him a pep talk. And it is Because he's rejecting, because yeah. he's a terrible father to a son who needed his approval. He's giving him this pep talk, unknowingly encouraging Sawyer to kill a man. Can I just say that this entire sequence um, did a lot in my mind to redeem Christian Shepard because everything we'd seen from Christian Shepard up until now was he's a terrible person. He's a terrible, irredeemable asshole who did not give two shits about how he treated his son throughout his, in, his son's entire upbringing. He's an alcoholic, he is reckless, and he caused the death of innocent people and refused to take responsibility for it. Christian Shepard, up until this point, is an asshole and then who drank himself to death. But in this moment, he, like, it humanizes him so much. It doesn't redeem him, but it humanizes him. It goes from him being the two-dimensional, overbearing alcoholic father abusive father to somebody who recognizes what he's done wrong what he can do to make it right but is too weak to actually take the steps to do it he this could pick up that phone this was excellent and it like i said it, this scene and the power of the scene made me go like we've been so mean to jack will 
We've been so mean to him up until this point. Can I take back a lot of what the mean things that I've said about him being the reluctant hero and all that other uh, stuff? Because it just made me feel so bad. Look, I take none of it back, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> because the Shepherds are Red Sox fans. Oh, oh and snap! at the end of the day, we all know Red Sox fans... Go fuck themselves. Whoa! <laughs> there is somebody who I believe listens to this podcast who I, from our Orphan Black days who I have a lovely Twitter friendship with who is a Red Sox fan and at this point I have driven her from listening to this show. Will making enemies on this podcast. You have to be careful about when you say no. stuff like that, I, Will. The, the, believe me. There the, are lots of... <laughs> the cro- the cross-section of Red Sox fans and Lost fans know that I love them as individuals. <laughs> I just... Despite their flaws. <laughs> I just don't enjoy them as a fan base. And they don't enjoy me as a fan base. We'll learn to get along. My, my only investment in baseball is the minor league uh, team I used to watch. Um, I used to go to games with when I was younger. Um, and then also, like, Angels and Dodgers. And that's the extent of it. Uh, and that the extent of that is just, like, when I go see a game. Um, because it's fun when you go see a, a, a ball game with a beer and a hot dog. It's great. So, <laughs> Christian and Sawyer have this conversation. Christian gives him a little bit of a pep talk. That's why the Sox will never win the series. And he also expresses gratitude and pride for the courage that his son had, a courage that he would never have. And I believe it. I yeah, believe it when he says that. Because there's no... There's no reason for him not to be totally honest to the stranger Again, at this point. Uh, every scene up until this moment, Christian Shepard has been a manipulative person. He's been em- emotionally, like at his most quote unquote vulnerable, he was emotionally manipulating Jack to do exactly what he wanted him to do. And Jack ultimately ended up making the right decision, calling him out on it. Um, there has been nothing sincere about Christian Shepard up until this point. This is a moment of honesty and sincerity, the likes of which we've never seen from this person. So naturally, it gets an innocent man killed. <laughs> oh, God! <laughs> Sawyer oh, marches back to that shrimp truck, and he sees the guy... He's like, that drunk at the bar had a point. <laughs> Drunk at the bar, I had do, a lot of good stuff to say about my current situation. I do whatever the drunks at the bar tell me to do. And he marches back there, and he goes, Sawyer. And the guy turns around. Is it because his name's Sawyer? I no, it's because it's when a, someone shouts something <laughs> behind you... In a, you turn around you turn and around look. And he shoots him. And he, he was there ready to go and shoots. And then in this, he starts reading his letter. And the guy, as he's dying, is like, like basically, I don't know what you're talking about. And Why? I would have paid Hibbs. Yeah, he knows Hibbs. He says Hibbs' name. I would have paid him. And I would have paid. And <laughs> Sawyer knows he's got the wrong man. He realized he was set up. And then he says, it'll come back around, which is what Sawyer's hearing in his 
dreams in the whispers in the woods, what he's hearing all over the place. Now, I wanted to, to break up that because I wanted to get to that point of it's so interesting that we, we know at that point from the game of I Never that he kills a man, and then we see it, we see what we went see down. see it happen. And again, very well shot, extremely well acted. This was, again, this is excellent filmmaking, excellent storytelling. It's excellent. So, Sawyer, we come back to the island. Sawyer has his dream about the boar. It's weird. He, he, <laughs> Stupid. He wakes up, and the boar's been all in his stuff. Didn't eat Kate's food. Didn't pee on Kate's clothing. (laughs) That was pretty funny. She's like, well, my stuff's fine. And he's like, what? Because at first he was like, it ate all our stuff. And she's like, no, it didn't. Because that that reinforces the narrative he's constructed in his head about this boar being out to get him, specifically. And then who shows up? John Locke. Uh, Can I say that I had completely forgotten about this scene? I'd forgotten about this scene, too. Because... John Locke starts to talk, and I went, I literally said out loud, Jesus Christ, John! Because I, I was so taken aback. And I, again, I completely forgotten that this conversation had ever John happened. John Locke tells such an upsetting story. In such so a, abruptly! Abruptly. Out and, of nowhere! And in such a calm and measured way, he talks about how his sister... Uh, I, when they were died. children. She, like, fell off the monkey bars she and broke her neck. Is that Died a thing that's, instantly. How many... Is that something that's happening to kids? Do kids fall off the monkey bars and just die? I don't know. I thought they scraped their knees. <laughs> but it's a thing that could happen. Is that anything could happen. Oh, and his God. mother, stepmother, he mentions, uh, 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 felt responsibility for this. Like, if only I'd been watching more closely. And if only I'd done something. Then Locke tells a story about how this dog showed up and the dog stayed in the sister's bed and the mother was like, felt like the dog was some sort of message or a sign. And From Jeannie saying, don't blame yourself. Yes. It's not your fault. Sister, it's not your fault. And the dog left when the mother died, just vanished. Disappeared. Which, somebody was doing a bad job taking care of that dog. <laughs> Clearly! But, uh, you but, know, and, and, and the important part of this, this, this story that he tells, which is kind of a longish, surprising story, is this idea of, oh, the dog was your sister. And Locke is like, no. That's that w- ridiculous. Yes, that's ridiculous. <laughs> But the dog, the mother was able to rationalize this dog to let her off the hook. And Sawyer is the way he's viewing this boar. It's an example of how he's viewing the boar for all the problems. And I will say this, not to cut ahead because there are a couple more beats before it, but when Sawyer ultimately doesn't kill the boar, in a way he's allowing this to let him off the hook for the man he killed. Because the boar represents this man. I, I don't know necessarily if it's him letting letting the boar off the hook. More of it being an accepting of his own responsibility. Because like, well, y- y- yeah. There's a there's a lot of talk about fate in in this episode as well, and it's interesting that John Locke 
is the character saying, no, this dog wasn't a sign, but, but it's what my stepmother needed but, at the time. But, like, again, for, the, for a character who believes in signs, to have Locke go, no, of course that's, it was just a dog. Um... But yeah, so it, but it's Sawyer believes like Locke's mother. This boar represents the man. I I think it's more of just him passing the buck on his responsibilities. I don't I don't think necessarily this man represents the innocent man that Sawyer killed. I I I, I, I definitely get that parallel for sure though. But I I think this is more of an accepting of like fates not. You know, the thing that uh, Christian Shepherd was talking about in terms of fate, it, like, I'm making the decision what to do here. It's not up to fate. You know, fate isn't conspiring against me right now. It's just a bore. And then he turns and walks away, yeah. As uh, Sigmund Freud once said, sometimes a bore is just a bore. <laughs> is that a direct quote from Sigmund no. Freud? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, um, um, but I, I do... This... This is also an upsetting scene with a baby boar. Yeah! Where they find a baby boar, and Sawyer's, like, torturing it a little. A little bit, yeah. He's like, here, piggy, piggy, piggy. And Kate's like, what is wrong with you? But Sawyer's got... See, this is the thing. Sawyer's got the boar and the man. He's got them all mixed up that's, in his head. That's very true. He's he's doing a lot of projecting. And and you're right, by, by sort of allowing this boar to go, I, I guess you could say that Sawyer's learning that, like, maybe don't blame things on other things that when it's not their fault. So, ultimately, Sawyer doesn't kill the boar, thus depriving the entire camp of a good dinner. I know, right? <laughs> um, but, no, it, 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 it totally works as a character moment. I totally buy it, it, it and it's great. It works as a character moment, but I, I feel like um, introducing the baby boar... Um, like, if this, if it was just the boar on its own, I feel like the, the rationale of, like, no, it's kill it for food. It spares <laughs> the audience having to play complete, because you ultimately, you always yeah. feel bad for baby animal. Exactly. Especially for a baby animal that was just mistreated on screen. Um, it's a lot easier for, to, for the audience to allow this boar to be like, to heave a sigh of relief when Sawyer doesn't kill this boar. Because if he killed the boar, he'd be killing the baby too. And that's so, not cool. So, Sawyer had found the boar, which means Kate gets carte blanche, and Sawyer has got to bring the gun back to Jack. So he goes to Jack, and in a very playful Sawyer moment, he's like, stick him up. <laughs> he's got the gun. And the stick thing is, up, Doc. Sawyer's face looks so, like, goofy and childlike when he points this weapon at the doctor, <laughs> but Jack is like, Jack's having none of it. Yeah. Jack's having none of it, which is why, you know, eh. I mean, okay, yeah, I know he's <laughs> pointing a loaded gun at you, but lighten up, Jack. I don't know about that. I mean, Sawyer did shoot a man not in the heart <laughs> and cause Jack to have to murder someone. <laughs> and Sawyer has this, you know, cagey back and forth about what Kate had to do to get the gun back. Again, toxic masculinity ruins the party again. But, but yeah, because he's just... Because he's, he's like nothing she wasn't willing to part with. Like, like, like they, like she got intimate with him. Yeah. Yeah, that'll happen later. 
This stupid show. <laughs> That'll happen later, and Jack will have to watch it happen. Ew. <laughs> damn this stupid show. <laughs> It'll happen in a polar bear cage. Oh, God. And Jack will have to watch. Ew. Ew. That's, I had completely forgotten about that. That's so disgusting. Oh, uh, I can't wait till we get to oh, that. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> but, John, Jock. <laughs> I've been drinking like Christian Shepherd here. Um, Jack says the same. Wait, 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 wait. Is that the the John Locke Jack ship name? Yes. Yes. Oh, you know there is Jock oh, fanfic. There is definitely Jock fanfic. Um. Sorry, I didn't mean to derail you. No, it's so okay. Jack. Jack says the same phrase about the Sox never winning the series. That his father, and this phrase sticks with Sawyer. And Sawyer starts asking some questions, like, oh, was your father a doctor too? And he's like, yeah. And then Sawyer knows he's seen Jack's father, but he doesn't tell him. Again, this will be information that will eventually get delivered to Jack, but he doesn't, Sawyer's got... I, I do like, and now I, I, I kind of want to get your take on this, because I, I don't remember when that information gets delivered to Jack, um... That it's entirely possible that was an episode I missed, or it could just be I just don't remember it because the the middle of this series is a big blur for me. Um, but in this moment, um, do you think Sawyer chooses not to tell Jack to sort of spare his feelings, or do you think he chooses not to tell Jack because he's not one hundred percent sure it is his father? I think it's. I think he's. 100% sure. And I don't think he's trying to spare the feelings. I think Sawyer thinks that this is an interesting bit of information and that only Sawyer on has. And I think that's very much the way a con man would operate. Like, I have... I don't know if it's going to ever be of any importance. Relevant. I yeah. don't know if there's any reason to really hold this. But a good con man's not going to play all his cards. He's just going to hold on to it and mosey on away. No one to hold him, no one to fold him. No one well, to walk away, no one to run. And he has nothing explicitly to gain by telling Jack, oh yeah, I ran into your dad at this yeah. moment. He has nothing to gain. So there's also a B storyline. And actually, it's not... Particularly since Christian Shepard's dead. <laughs> and, and, and Jack tells him that, oh, my yeah. dad's dead. Uh, there's a B storyline. Uh, that there's really... The, that sounds more dramatic than it actually plays out because I really feel like this B storyline is there just as much to serve Sawyer's PTSD and it's uh, Claire is having memories and she asks Charlie to go for a walk and Charlie's like nope I have something to do and he's very like cold and direct and weird about it well to be fair he was getting ready to go bury the body of the man he murdered <laughs> yes Yes. Uh, and I don't know if I would be like, oh, I gotta go, you know, bury the, the man I killed to save you. Uh, I don't know if that's exactly the line I would have used. Uh, I might have also used the line of, I got some stuff to take care of, but m maybe later. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'd be later. like, hey, can I meet in about two hours? <laughs> I don't know how long it takes to bury a body. It's two hours a good amount of time. I don't know. How deep do you have to dig a hole? How quickly can you dig a hole? Let me tell you how what. How hard is the soil? If I'm burying bodies, it's going to be very shallow. Well, also, grave. it looked like he was creating a makeshift shovel. Like, because I was wondering what he yeah, was playing around with. It was, was like, oh, it's yeah, a makeshift they don't have shovels, shovel. But they've had to bury people before. Yeah. 
Is that so, guy who Ethan killed. Uh, Steve? Steve? Scott? <laughs> Scott? <laughs> um, so, Charlie is... Gets Hurley to help him bury Ethan. And Charlie's acting off. He's acting weird. Yeah, very weird. Uh, he's not responding to questions. He's just, he's just digging that hole. And Hurley... You know, picks up on this. And, and and Charlie doesn't exhibit any remorse. Yes. So he goes to Saeed and says, Saeed, you know, did you have that Gulf War syndrome? And he's like, that was the other side. Oh. And, and he's like, do you have PTSD? And Saeed talks about, uh, yeah. Oh, wait, he tells Charlie he the tells story. He tells Charlie sorry. the story. And Hurley basically is like, and this is true. You're the person most equipped to talk to somebody you're, about this. You're the only soldier that I know on this island. So go, please talk to Charlie. And Saeed does. And he tells a story about how he was a member of a firing squad. And he didn't, you know, he didn't think about it He's at like, all. I did my duty. Yeah. Yeah. And, but then he suddenly was, like, being haunted by this. And, and the, the, here's the thing is that the person that he executed, or he had a hand in executing, was a murderer. He killed a woman and her children by, you know, by accident. This is why when uh, there is a firing squad, if people are killed by firing squad, at least here in this country... Do we still do that? <laughs> yeah, I think some states do. Really? Well, I think it's the kind of thing that, you know, some states... I, I think not too long ago, a death row prisoner chose to be killed by firing I was going to say, that sounds so archaic in terms of our history. But it just sounds like something we wouldn't no, do we, anymore. We still, we still do it. Really? Uh, look, wow. Not to, we've turned, we've had a lot of political moments, but I, I find the death penalty archaic to begin with. Uh, I agree 100%. Um, but one of the things that they do is, um, like if there's like four guys in the firing squad, only three of them will actually have live rounds and the fourth person won't and they'll never know who and it's a way for them to rationalize that maybe they weren't the ones. Maybe they weren't the ones who killed the yeah. person. Which, by the way, if we need to psychologically give those people, that's another reason not to have death penalty. The why, psychological why toll you, it puts why, on why people. Why do you, <laughs> when you need to actually actively give someone a psychological out for pulling a trigger and, and ending a life, then yeah, chances are there's something wrong with the practice to begin with. Um, and you know, this, again, it's a, this is a more positive pep talk <laughs> uh, than Christian Shepherd's because no one dies because of it. Instead, Charlie goes back to Claire and they're going to go well, I I love the, the crux of this whole sort of powwow um, because Charlie's like, well, okay, what's... What's the point of this discussion? And Saeed's like, you know, what you've done will be with you for the rest of your life. But you're not the only one. Like, know that you're not alone in yeah. this, so stop pretending to be. And um, I think that's, as, as we know in this episode, Charlie is not the only killer on the island. Uh, Saeed's killed to protect the people he loves, and he's killed people um, just enacting his duty. Kate, we know, is a murderer. Jack is technically a murderer because he's had to put someone out of their misery, and then um, 
And then, yeah, Sawyer, we know, is also a murderer. Like, every, a lot of people have blood on their hands on this island, and everybody's still just trying to do the best they can to pick up and move on. I believe even, uh, I believe even Hurley. Oh, Hurley, Hurley feels guilt from people who died that he feels to blame for, as we'll find out. It's been a while since I've seen his backstory episode. I'm like, who died on Hurley's side? I don't remember. Hurley, I believe. And again, sometimes we get things a little long because I'm not looking ahead. We're trying to play this as we're we're watching. Yeah, but chronologically. We're trying bit. to go back chronologically and, and, and have fun with it. But uh, Hurley was on a deck that collapsed and I believe people died because of it and he's blamed his weight for it going on to this deck that collapsed. I don't remember this conversation in any capacity, but it sounds like something that would come up. Also, bad luck lottery numbers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, one other moment I'll just throw in is a little background moment. We see Michael getting a business on that raft. The raft is starting to come together. Yeah. So, and I mean, just Claire kind of looks at it. Well, she's she's looking at Michael uh, because he's building this raft for his son. Yes. And so she's looking at a very pregnant Claire is looking at this man, you know, that she doesn't necessarily remember, but she's seeing what he's doing on behalf of his son. And, you know, that's... That's something that she's keeping in mind because, like, that whole revelation that she had in a previous episode is lost on her at this point because we don't know how many memories have come back to her. So, this is an excellent episode. It is. Um, look, I think both of our Jacobs or whatever, it's going to be the never, I never game. Absolutely. It's a great scene. It's one of the series' best scenes. It's a great character moment. Um, is your man in black, though? Is that uh, the boar in the it's dream? It's the boar dream sequence, yes. <laughs> and honestly, again, that's the, like kind of the nitpickiest of nitpicks. Um, yeah, that's like the only bad thing I have to say about this episode. The only other thing I could be like semi-critical about is like maybe playing off PTSD as less serious than it actually is. Or, like, by going, you can cure PTSD just by saying, hey, you're not alone. Like, Well, but I, like, I think as we see as the series goes on, none of these people are cured of their demons. No, yet. for sure. That That's being super nitpicky, and that's coming at it from, like, more of, like, is this the best way to discuss PTSD in the media sort of perspective? Which I don't, I don't particularly feel like I'm qualified to make that discussion anyway. But, um, but yeah, my, my, that's like being the nitpickiest of nitpicky. This is a stellar episode. And the only thing that outwardly stands out as out of place or weird or doesn't belong is that weird dream sequence bit. Um, only because the effects that, you know, 2004 CGI uh, network television CGI doesn't quite work. We are a long way from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Ghost Rider. <laughs> I, um, I'm just going to say that uh, I do my Man in Black, just to be a little different, is I do worry that uh, this is an early example of them mixing up some mythology stuff with the whispers that okay. doesn't necessarily... And, and, mo and, and that doesn't really even bother me that much, but I just want to be different than the Boar feet. That's That's fine, because, yeah, it is the one bit uh, 
technically speaking, it's, that stands out in it's this It's the only mythology nothing. stuff, and it's the only really otherworldly island stuff in this. Yeah, um, if... If I if I wanted to be really different and say my man in black, I'm like, ah, series is peaking way too early. <laughs> uh, we all know that the best episodes of Lost are many episodes of this podcast from now. <laughs> that is 100% debatable. <laughs> So, uh, Megan, where can the people find you? You guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Manguin. That's T H E M E N G U I N. And you can follow me on Twitter at the Real Will Link. And you can follow us on Twitter at No Love Lost Pod. Um, yeah. So this is a great episode. Stellar. Uh, stellar episode. Next week. I'm so excited! <laughs> Next week should be a good one as well. And we uh, might have a guest as well. Ooh. Ooh. So we will, uh, until then, we will see you in another life, brother. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to No Love Lost on the podcast Jukebox Network. Yeah, we really appreciate you guys listening. And if you guys liked the show that we put on, you might like some of the other shows put on by this lovely network. Um, Off the Cuffs, which is a kink and BDSM podcast, which is very popular. Um, Being There, Will Sean podcast. Will he? Uh, he does. <laughs> uh, you would know. Drinks with God and proud to be kinky. Yeah, so we want to give a big thank you to this network for, for supporting us, for giving us a platform to talk about Lost On. So, guys, it would really mean a lot if you would show uh, these other podcasts some love. Yeah, go back, give them a listen. If you like us, you might like them. We're on the same network. Only makes sense. Go listen to them. Give them all five stars. Do that. And then also give us five stars. Yeah, we could use it. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>